lovers, this is Dr. Candace Nicole with How to Love a Human. You can follow me and the How to Love a Human project on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole and HowToLoveAHuman.com, where I welcome your contribution to the conversation. Today, I'm dialoguing with Carol, and I appreciate all you lovers out there for taking this journey with me to discover how to love a human. Hey everyone, today on How to Love a Human, I am with Carol Taylor Shim. Hey Carol. Hey. <laughs> How you I doing do not it? sound like that in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little bit more bass in my voice. You know, how you doing today? I'm good. I am good. Happy to be here. Happy to be having this conversation. I'm happy to talk about love. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. when I started off, I start with my non-researchy question first. Okay. Are you feeling human or human as fuck today? Uh, human Have. as fuck today. Mm-hmm. I always feel human as fuck. Okay. Break it down. What's the difference for me? Well, I think for me, human as fuck is about my role in the world Mm -hmm. and like what, what I'm trying to leave as a legacy Mm -hmm. and the things that I'm trying to, to influence so that other people's lives can be better, whatever that looks like, whatever better looks like for them. Now on those days where there are some days where I'm like, I'm human. Okay. And it's typically those days where like something has happened and like something has hit me in a negative way or like Mm -hmm. somebody's hurt my feelings or Somebody's been shady or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those are the days where I'm not as human as fuck, but I'm still human. Gotcha. Because I feel that pain. And There's I feel a vulnerability. That. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, vulnerability um, is a space that I don't navigate a lot. Okay. Yeah. But that's my choice. Not mm-hmm. because I've not been in those positions where I've been vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I think it's tied a lot to my identities, especially as a black woman. And, you know, we got to be strong 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't have a kink in the armor. And so I I try to balance that. Sometimes I do really well. Sometimes I'm just not on it. But when you're feeling like you're feeling today, Mm -hmm. human as fuck is Mm -hmm. like, I got this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bed. I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right before I came over here, I was working on some stuff and I just felt myself as I was typing things, I was like, this shit wrong. <laughs> like why are people being treated this way? Mm-hmm. And like why do we have to navigate these kinds of systems just to get people, you know, to get the basics. Right. And so it, it's in those moments where I'm like extra human. Okay. Because I recognize like when people don't get their basic needs met. You know? Yeah. Like basic, basic stuff like being in a space where people want them. Mm-hmm. You know, if people are in trauma and people don't see that, like that, that the basic kind of stuff. And when they go beyond not seeing it, but casting it negatively, mm-hmm. like is mm-hmm. that person's problem mm-hmm. that they've been traumatized. <laughs> oh, mm. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the kind of stuff that makes me um, feel like I have to step my game up for other people Got it. that that may or may not in that moment or at that time, you know, have all of their human, maybe they're not human, feeling mm-hmm. human as fuck at that moment. Right. But somebody has to take care of those folks and someone has to see those folks mm-hmm. and acknowledge that. And we all have to do better Yep. by each other. Um, so, yeah, human as fuck. <laughs> do you do that 
as a function of someone having done it for you or because someone didn't do it for you? I usually hear. uh, It's a little of both. Okay. Um, You know, I've worked in environments where it has not been supported for Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the narrative turned into I was not the best person in the environment. Now, even though, like, people are just, I mean, there were days when I would sit in my office and, like, nobody would even acknowledge that I was there. No, not a hi, not a smile. Not a hi, how you doing? You know, you can hear people, like, kikiing in the main space mm-hmm. and everybody's having lunch together. And then, like, I walk out and people stop talking. Wow. And so that kind of stuff um, is not healthy for anybody. No. Um, and it definitely... It, at, at different points in my life has taken different kinds of tolls mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. At the core, people want to be loved and belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You working in a space where people are like, I want to just make a point that you don't belong here mm-hmm. by not speaking to you. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. toxic. It is. It is toxic. And and I think when, when you're, especially if you're a person of color mm-hmm. and especially if you're a black woman, like the way, at least for me, the way that rejection hits me, um, may be different than it hits other people. Like, there's just something about... Here's what it is. It's okay. because I don't feel like there's anything that I can do. Like, I could say something to, to them about it, but I promise you it's going to get turned around mm. into she's being a bully. Wow. And that's real language because that really happened. Mm-hmm. She's being a bully. No. By acknowledging mm-hmm. what is going on mm-hmm. in the situation. Yeah, so mm-hmm. like... When I walk into the room and none of y'all speak to me and I go, oh, okay, that's what we're doing today. Okay. And then you all feel uncomfortable about that. Like, I'm not here for any of that. Mm. None of that. That's not. You're a- not silent. And so that insolence mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. Is, is what it's called. Mm-hmm. 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 And so that, that trying to navigate environments like that is exhausting. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. is exhausting because you're, you feel like you're constantly trying to prove to people that there's been some sort of injury Hmm. and people just don't want to believe you. Like, why can't you just believe me that that's, I'm telling you how your actions made me feel. I don't know who else is going to tell you how my actions feel. I'm telling you, but you don't want to believe that. So, so you already bridged to the next question. We're just going to dig into it. What are your most salient identities? Who are you? You led with like as a black woman, Uh but break Uh it on down. Um, it took me a really long time to figure out who I was and how I identify and what I bring into a room. And so I identify as a queer woman of color, mm-hmm. but I didn't always openly identify as a queer woman of color. Gotcha. Like, I can't really hide being a woman of color, mm-hmm. um, but being queer, lesbian, gay, whatever. Um, I use all of those terms. Yeah. Um, at different points in my life, I was like, that's not really... I want to lead with that. Got it. Say more about not wanting to lead with Not it. wanting to lead with that. Um, it wasn't that I was hiding it. It just, what I used to do is live my life in compartments. Okay. And so mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, I can focus on my identity as a woman in this space. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go up here, then I um, am going to focus on being black in this space. Um, mostly because I don't know if it's safe for me to be black and gay in this space. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to a different space and be like, oh, I'm super gay. But I'm surrounded by people who are not of the same color. Okay. And so it always felt like tempering 
parts of myself depending on which space I was in. And that was exhausting. Absolutely. Um, but for a really, really long time, I thought that's the way I had to function to survive. How did you learn that you had to function that way? A lot of people taught me that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so probably over the last four years, I'd say, it has been a lot of self-work. Okay. Um, and, and different people along the way, people like Romeo Jackson and Jamie Washington and Kathy O'Bear and Becky Martinez and... Um, Jay Mace the third and and my really good friend, my big sister Chevelle Ma Savage, like those folks live loudly mm. and openly and with such freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I started talking with those folks that I realized, you mean I can be all of these things all at the same? Like I can show up with all of this all the time? Let me pause right there. You just said something that hit me. So you used the term freedom and self-work. Does freedom for you feel like it has to take work to, to claim it? Sometimes. Wow. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes. Um, yeah. Be- because I think for me, it took me a long time to figure out what my freedom looked like. Okay. And once I figured that out, that is when my life completely changed. Mm-hmm. When I realized, no, I don't have to compartmentalize any piece of my life. Like, I can show up as the queer black woman, badass that I know that I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way I show up now. Yeah. And so that was free. That's freedom for me. Gotcha. That's absolute freedom for me. Showing because, up free is mm-hmm. being your whole mm-hmm. self, wherever mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you either going to like it, love it, or hate it. Mm-hmm. But I'm still showing up the same kind of way. Um, and so I, I think I freed myself from those burdens of trying to be what other people needed to me to be in those spaces. Hmm. But it took me so long to do that. That's powerful. It took me a really, really long time to do that because I was really, I was raised in a family where presentation meant a lot. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't ever want to appear too negative or like too much of this or not enough of this. Um, There's but a the, lot of impression management. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 I still remember those. Well, look, don't be embarrassing me when you get out. Yes. In, don't be out in the streets mm-hmm. embarrassing me. And that's I think, a, boy, that's a hallmark statement. <laughs> everybody's mama done said that. Somebody, <laughs> granny, somebody, somebody. Said that. Mm-hmm. But I, but I also recognize where that comes from. Absolutely. You know, historically, like if you were napping right at one point in time in history, like you were dead. Mm-hmm. And so I think for, for black people in particular, that image management is, is an additional burden that we have mm-hmm. um, in addition to all the other ones. And so it is, it's exhausting, but it was freeing for me once I realized who I am. Okay. And that was the biggest gift I've ever given to myself. Watching people who you admire mm-hmm. be themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gave you the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, to do like, you. I was like, you just like you just show up like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was in a workshop with Romeo, and they came in, jewelry, fabulous, barefoot, genius, glorious soul, and I was just like, I want to be like that. Wow, I want to live my life as I know, as I see myself. When mm-hmm. I get up in the mirror, mm-hmm. in the morning and look in the mirror, like that's the same chick that is going to carry me through the whole day. Got it. But, I ha- but it took me watching other people to do that and to see that it was actually possible. 
and to see how much power comes from living free. Mm. Do you a, feel that power now more uh, empowered than you did? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not um, afraid as much. Mm-hmm. I'm not as, as afraid. Because I'm like, like, what's the, what y'all gonna, what y'all gonna do? What's the worst that you could do? Yeah. There's a lot of bad that people could do, mm-hmm. but if they're gonna do bad anyway, mm-hmm. why not be you? Right. Yeah. Right. If you're gonna do bad, like, you're gonna have to do bad to all of this. Mm-hmm. All of it. And let me tell you, all of it's gonna come back at yeah. you. And so it is, um, there's a level of confidence that comes with knowing who you are, loving yourself, doing that hard work to like unpack all your stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel that. But, you know, that, that people have to make a choice to do that. And I'll often also have to have resources and support to do that. And I was just really fortunate okay. that I did have that when from you, a lot of people. When you show up compartmentalized, something you just said, it's like if somebody brings something to you that's mm-hmm. violent mm-hmm. or negative mm-hmm. or oppressive, mm-hmm. you only have that part that you showed up with to defend yourself. Right. Right. You show it with all of you. Yeah. They got to deal with every yeah. piece of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Some of it privileged, some of it marginalized. Right. You get all of this Absolutely. whole package. Absolutely. Yeah. So before I was bringing a knife to a gunfight. Mm. And so now we're evenly matched. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm just like, you don't really want this. But if you do want it, you get <laughs> all of it. Every piece of it. And you don't remember. And you won't make you won't make this choice a second right. time. Mm-hmm. And and we can come to some mutual understanding of, of, of like, you will respect who is in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're going to respect me in these identities, how I show up, not the way that you want me to show up, but how I show up. Right. That, that, that's a non-negotiable for me. Like you got to respect that. Yep. Um, and it's real easy to see when people don't. Mm-hmm. It's, Absolutely. They show themselves very quickly. Very and then quickly. they can get showed. This mm-hmm. is what it looks like when you aren't respectful. Uh-huh. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. This is the correction you will receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's some guidance for you. <laughs> um, let me help you <laughs> not make the same mistake with me. someone else who's not going to be as generous. Absolutely. As, as I am. Um, because not everybody's going to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. a lot of lessons that come from that. Yeah. Interfacing with a person who is whole and authentic. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it does teach other folks around you, like, mm-hmm. oh, you too can live free mm-hmm. and say what's on your mind mm-hmm. and be yourself and mm-hmm. enjoy all that you enjoy. Yep, mm-hmm. and and I feel like if I can if I can do for one person what all of those people did for me, then I will have done some really good stuff in my life. Okay, and so I, I it's important to me for students and like young people that I that I love and that I support see that. Mm-hmm. Because they need to see, they need to know, whoever you are, bring all of it to the table. Absolutely. All of it is important. All of it is great. And and you don't have to hide stuff at all. Mm. You know, and in some cases, I know for safety reasons, people do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're eventually going to get to the point where we don't. Got it. Hopefully. <laughs> Everything I own is crossed about mm-hmm. that. Because I think, I think we as humans have the potential to do that. Yeah. But we got a lot of work to do, though. There's some courageous people who take the chance mm-hmm. when it's most risky yes. to set the groundwork for everybody else to start living authentically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. Yep. Yeah. So you said all of you, as a queer black woman, those mm-hmm. are the identities that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Are there other identities that you didn't mention that you might also consider a part yeah. of you? Um, <laughs> growing up, I grew up in a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I don't consider myself religious. Mm-hmm. I definitely consider myself spiritual. Okay. And how do you differentiate the two? To me, religious means you're listening to some guy. Because usually it's a guy. Mm-hmm. Because women are marginalized yep. in churches. And, you know, women aren't supposed to serve the Lord in that same mm-hmm. kind of whatever. All them shenanigans. Um, and I just... So I'm not a, I, I grew up in, in a Baptist church here in town. My dad is a deacon, was a deacon for a million years. Yeah. My mother is beloved by the, you know, all the little kids come sit with her. She mm-hmm. got, she got a purse full of candy, <laughs> purse full of dollar bills. Like church she, mother. Yes. Sure. She handed out candy and dollar bills. And I'm like, can I get a dollar? She's like, nope. <laughs> um, but I just always. It felt oppressive mm. in a lot of different ways. And it felt very judgmental. Yeah. And so all of these messages that I would hear from the pulpit, I'm like, well, that doesn't sound nice. Mm-hmm. And so the minute that I heard the word dyke and fag come from the pulpit, I was like, you know what? Wait I, a minute. It's my last day. Yeah. Yeah. I mm. believe you, but I just need to break down that moment. Mm. Like, where were you? Um, I was sitting in the balcony because um, I'd gotten there late. And I just remember hearing it, and it felt like, literally, it felt like like things started looking different, and mm-hmm. it just felt like he was t- looking directly. He wasn't, but that's what it felt yeah. like. Like, he was talking to directly to me, like, mm. that dyke in the damn balcony, I'm talking to you. That's what it felt like. Um, and I just remember getting up and getting my bag and leaving. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, this is not safe for me. Mm-hmm. This is not a safe place for me to be. Um, and, and that also happened at a time when I was early in the process, in the coming out process. Okay. And so still trying to figure out, you know, am I gay enough? Because mm-hmm. that, that was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Am I gay enough? Like, do people know that I'm gay? Like, do I need to wear a T-shirt that says lesbian? Like, how do people yeah. know? Um but it, it just, like, it took the breath out of me. Yeah. Because I had always grown up in that environment. Um, but in that moment, it was not safe, and I had to make a choice. Yeah. And I chose to save myself as opposed to continue to be subjected to this kind of abuse. But the minute that I let go of religion and connected with God, mm. that changed everything. How? Like, my relationship with God got a lot stronger. Okay. Because there wasn't, for me, there wasn't this middle person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was, there wasn't a gatekeeper anymore to God. Right. And so I think sometimes pastors and leaders of churches are gatekeepers. Not not that they're designated that way. I think that's just kind of a role that they assume. Absolutely. And I um, think that's a role that they sought. It is. It is. It is. Um, but I don't have that gatekeeper anymore. And so me and sweet baby Jesus talk all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause God didn't say, I need you to go through a gatekeeper to get to me. Yeah. Look, have your people call my, people. <laughs> that is not what he said. It's like, call my agent, call my assistant. <laughs> That's not how this goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that my faith was something that was important to me, but going, being a member of a church was not, Got it. it was not. Um, so that spirituality part, um, is super important to me. Um, also my identity as a wife mm-hmm. is incredibly important to me. How so? Um, Because my wife makes my life better. Mm. 
Yes. That, you know, that fabulous song, I'm a movement by myself, yes. but I'm a force when we're together. <laughs> yes. Like, that is, that's our song. <laughs> that's our song. Um, because that's what I feel like. Yeah. Um, I feel like I gained so much strength and power mm-hmm. and, like, confidence and all the good stuff from her. How long have y'all been together? Lordy. Look, sorry, Kim, because, you know, I can't never remember dates. <laughs> um, in November, it'll be hey, 12 Kim. years. Hey, love you. Um, it'll be 12 years that we've actually been together, Mm -hmm. um, but we've been married for 10 years. Yeah. Well, that's we got, yeah, we got married in Gatlinburg Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And then in 2014, we went to Connecticut and got legally married. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, she is the one that can look at it. Like if I explain a situation to her, she can see things that I would have never seen because, like, this isn't academia and all this kind of stuff. Like, this is not anything she has any interest in. Got it. That's, that's not her stuff. Um, but I can talk to her about situations, and she's like, well, that's some bullshit. Mm-hmm. And why did they do this, and what about this? And I'm like, dang, I didn't even realize that. And and to be able to come home and, like, lay those burdens out yeah. um, and lay them down. And if they have to be picked back up, at least there's another set of hands picking them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that love that she and I have for each other has it, it makes both of us a lot stronger and a lot better. Got it. Absolutely. So I can imagine. I don't know what my life would be like if I wasn't in love with this person, and if this person wasn't in love with me and we weren't together. I think my my life would look very different. What does your role look like as a wife? Like. What do you feel is important about who you are mm-hmm. in that? Um, I'm a pretty nurturing person mm-hmm. um, and really supportive. And I like to make sure we have a happy home. Yeah. You know? Um, and not just like the stuff we have, mm-hmm. but our time together. And so I try really hard to like unpack all of my mess and not carry any of it mm-hmm. home. Um or if I'm carrying it home, it's the stuff that I really need her help with. Mm-hmm. So I'm not carrying all this other stuff. But stuff that I really, really need my wife's help with. Yeah. Um, and she does the same. Okay. And she does the same. And so it has been, like marriages work. Mm-hmm. Like you can love somebody and be in love with them, but sometimes you're like, I don't even like you right yeah. now. Yeah. I really don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like and Just in this moment, I'm really... I might be single in about ten minutes. <laughs> I think I think when you when you're married, it's a level of commitment. Um, at least for me, I don't take it lightly. Right. My parents, let's see, they they've been married forty six years. Wow. Forty six years, and so I grew up. It's a lifetime. It is. It is. I grew up watching that, and recognizing that in those moments where it's hard, like it's really hard. Mm-hmm. But they never gave up on each other, right. you know, and they love the daylights out of each other. <laughs> and so my dad is nine. He turned 90 last year. And my mom will be 80 next month. Mm-hmm. They still hold hands. Like he says, you know, your mom's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Wow. And then she'll say, I just love him. So like she's so cute <laughs> when she says that. Um, but like they're they're my model mm-hmm. for, you know, if you can find your other Per, your person, yeah, and that's the person you're walking through this world with. Like it's a lot easier and it's a lot better. Do you believe in soulmates? 
Um, I believe Kim is my soulmate. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I mean, maybe some people have them. I don't know if everyone has them. Yeah. Um, but she's definitely mine. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because she and I had been friends for a long time, and we hadn't seen each other for a while, like some years. And she was dating someone. I was dating somebody. And we saw each other after maybe four years, and I was like, "That's it." Well, <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna have to break up with somebody. <laughs> Which, and, and the relationship that I was in was not like we were all kind of on the tail end yeah. of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kim showed up, and I was like, "Well, gotta gotta figure out the timing for this other person." Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it was like this instant sort of thing. It was really funny. It's like they do on, you know, the movies and like everything gets quiet. Yeah. Like this, the violins are playing. You just focus in on mm-hmm. each. I mean, it was so dramatic. Um, but I'm so grateful that it happened. Mm-hmm. I'm so very, very grateful that it happened. I do too. And I know a lot of people question that and they think it's fairy tale. But sometimes you just know. Yeah. Like, I believe in fairy tales. That's fairy it. tales are great. Yeah. Especially when you can live them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everybody... Like, people say there's somebody out there for everybody. I do believe that. I just don't think that for some people, at least for me, like, I've I've loved several people in my, and Mm -hmm. been, like, in love with lots, not lots of people, but several people. Yeah. Um, And they were the right person at that time. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, Miss Right Now. Kim is Miss Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. there were were lots of Miss Right. (laughs) Lots of them. (laughs) Um, but you know, love is that thing that, that sustains people. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, like it's like this gaping hole in your life. Wow. Um, and I, I don't, I don't, nobody deserves to have that gaping hole in their life. Um, love is something that everybody should have always, Mm -hmm. always, always, always. And when people don't have it, what happens? Whew. They attempt to find it in places. Um, I worked in child welfare for about 20 years before I came to this job in the UK. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so I, I watched a lot of, of people in pain. Mm-hmm. And I can think back to some... Incredible be- pain. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Like, I've seen people at their bottom. Their absolute bottom. And there have been a few clients who really... Um, not I hate that word, clients, but I can't think of another. Yeah. People that I was serving. Um that I could just see were missing that chunk of love somewhere in their life. Mm-hmm. Whether it was when they were a kid, whether it was when they were a teenager, whether it was right now. Um, and there's such, there was such a void in people. Like you can, you can, you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I said before, everybody deserves to have that void feel mm-hmm. in a safe way, mm-hmm. in a very, very safe way. Um, but it all, it looked it looked just like sadness yeah. and like low energy and, you know, people not wanting to engage with other people and, you know, body language, all of that, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, doing that work for 20 years taught me a whole lot. I bet. It taught me a whole lot. Um, I did it probably 19 years and six months longer than anybody should do it because it is, I mean, I saw every aspect. You see the full scope uh-huh. of Humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fullest of scopes. Now, now, what was always fascinating was kids 
always love their parents. Oh my gosh, yes. Love that, like, love their parents to no end, even the worst parent. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to stop loving their parent. They want the abuse and neglect to stop. Absolutely. But they, I mean, some of the parents that I'm like, you should not have children Mm -hmm. because you're not safe. Even in the worst abuse situations. People, these little kids always just were like, but I love you, mommy. And even when the mom was like, but I don't love you. I mean, things like that. Kids just, um, the kids that I saw really, really um, wanted that from their parents. And sometimes parents could give it to them and sometimes they just couldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a part of the reason that I could not stay in K through 12 education. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you made it 20 years. I had three in me, and then mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm going to be ripped wide open if I mm-hmm. keep doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, um, I did not take good care of myself mm-hmm. when I first got into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I carried a lot of stress. I carried a lot of trauma. I didn't realize that there was a thing such as secondary trauma. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, you just, you know, you just keep moving. You just keep doing stuff. And did not realize how much damage I was doing to myself. Like my relationships, I wasn't taking good care of myself. Um, I developed really bad insomnia. And so it just was not, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't good at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I was able to move around. I moved around a lot in different positions, which is probably why I wound up staying in it so long. Got it. Yeah. So a little bit of change made it Mm -hmm. like a space where you could kind of recreate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just gave me a, a break. From all of the trauma and just all of the stuff, you know, like there's things I've seen things that no one should ever have to see mm-hmm. when it comes to kids and mm-hmm. families. It just no one there's no good comes from people seeing it. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I saw it. And so, you know, it kind of sticks with you. I wonder if I wonder if there is something to be said, though, for your capacity for empathy and being able to bear witness to that. Mm. I think so. I think it's probably where I built that capacity Mm -hmm. because there were many times when I would be sitting across the, you know, the table or sitting with a mom, completely strung out, Um, you know, might have been in shelter, Mm -hmm. lost their kids. And, and how can you not see humanity in people, especially a person that's in pain? Oh, it's so it's so much easier to dehumanize a person uh-huh. in pain than it is to empathize I, with them. I, I was never good at dehumanizing no. folks. Yeah, I'm just like that's just not. I don't I don't have that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it child welfare was where I built this ability to empathize, mm-hmm. even with like the most heinous behavior from a parent mm. this is what i what i was thinking well what happened to you oh yeah you know like somebody somebody messed it all up for you mm-hmm. and you're repeating this cycle um not a, not as an excuse for like people's behavior Absolutely. but i but i always understood like this stuff comes from somewhere mm-hmm. you didn't start being like this out of the blue no Mm-mm. yeah and so you're just you're acting out pain, trauma, and all this other stuff on other people. Yeah. Um, but that pain and trauma started somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what does love mean to you? You talked about it as a sustaining force, mm-hmm. but break it down for me. Um, what is love? That's a great question. Um, 
it's like food. Like, you have to have food to survive. I think people have to have love to survive. Um, and it is this sense that you matter in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you matter just to one person, you still matter to somebody. Yeah. Um, so it's about a, a mattering to someone. Mm-hmm. I think so. Even if it's not yourself. I think so. Mm-hmm. In, in, in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think self-love for lots of folks, myself included, like it was harder for me to engage in that than it was for me to engage in love with another person. I've been hearing that over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Because mm-hmm. it requires you to unpack all your shit. Mm-hmm. And like really take a look at all the, you know, dirty stuff you've done and how you've made other people feel. And like you have to unpack all of that. And once you do that and you sort of reconcile yourself with with what's happened and you make a choice that that's not going to define who you are, Mm -hmm. then you get much closer to loving yourself. And there's so much power in that. Yeah. You know, because. That's from within. And so that self-love is not dependent on someone else. Mm-hmm. You, like, you, that's all you. Can you sustain on self-love alone? Or do you think there must be some reciprocity and some um, connection think, to others? I think I couldn't sustain it just mm-hmm. on self-love. Because I, I have to have that exchange, that yeah. reciprocity. Like, that's I have to have that. I think some people, you know what, I don't think people survive well without that mutual mm-hmm. you know i think some people can get along with you know really strong self-love but there's seems like there's this yearning for something else mm-hmm. like there's just something something missing um and then people learn to function with that deficit yeah and and i don't think people should have to function so they can that. adapt but mm-hmm. they're not functioning at whatever that peak level for them mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. I don't know if I believe that you can survive without love like self I don't know if you can have self love mm-hmm. without love I don't know yeah that's yeah. a great point mm-hmm. it is a great point love is a is a complicated beautiful thing mm-hmm. one of the most complicated things you will ever find in your life what makes it so complicated well one because it's often dependent on other people mm. um and sometimes we extend our love to people that we think are safe. Mm. And then we find out later that they're not safe. Yeah. But we still love them. And so then our work becomes, well, let me fix this person so that they're safe. Mm. So that we can engage in this mutual love that I'm, that I'm seeking so hard. Um, and that's dangerous yeah. in lots of different ways, in lots of different ways. Um, what has that looked like? Like an example that you could, because I know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. but kind of break that down, mm-hmm. like an example of that. Um, you know, I, I've been in my fair share of relationships where I probably should not have been in a relationship mm-hmm. with somebody. Um, and I think I got caught up. I, my pattern used to be I got caught up in the concept of love. Mm, okay. That's what I used to do. That's I used to, now, now that I sit and like replace some stuff yeah. back in my head, like, that's what I used to do. And I used to identify like people treating me well. It's like, oh, that's love. Gotcha. As opposed to like how you treat me when I'm like I'm not like when I'm not acting my best. Mm-hmm. You know. Can you still see the good in me when I'm in those in those spaces? Cause we all get in those spaces where we are like, at least I know I I have in the past, 
Um, but having having somebody there that will will still be up by your side no matter how bad you flip mm-hmm. it out, mm-hmm. it means a lot. Yeah, it means a whole lot. It means a lot. And I don't think people should have to navigate this world alone. Mm-hmm. And people need each other. Um, but sometimes people aren't safe. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, um, I used to tell students when I would talk about interpersonal violence, like if someone, you go out and it's a great date, it's first date, wonderful, and you're like, oh, stars, oh, yeah. this person's great. And then the second date, they punch you in the face. You're not going on the third date. Right? Some people are going on the third date. Though. Well, yeah, they are. But most people won't go on the third mm-hmm. date. Because they know that that's not something that they want in their lives. But people don't show up like that on the third date, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or the second date. They don't do that. Like, there's this whole wooing period. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of charisma in interpersonal violence. Oh, they're some of the most charismatic folks you will ever come across. Um, because they have to be. Mm-hmm. Because you really have to to disconnect the person from their ability to judge people. Hmm. And and they do that incredibly well, mm-hmm. incredibly well. And next thing you know, like you're in, it started out great, and oh, it's all this attention, and you know, he said he loves me first, or she said she loved me first, mm-hmm. and then like that's the hook, mm. and then there, then it just kind of spirals from mm-hmm. there. Um, doesn't have to be that way, but I think it is for mm-hmm. a lot of people. For a lot of people. So the way you explain it to them is like, it's not going to happen on day two. But when you're 25 dates in and you already fell in love and you're mm-hmm. feeling it's like, surprise, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're slapped. Now. And like your friends don't call you anymore. You stop hanging out with mm-hmm. your friends because that's an issue. Um, and you're not going to know that it's an issue because it's going to be like, well, I just want to spend time with mm-hmm. you. Like, I really like I just want us to spend a lot of time together. And the next thing you know, like you, you're not kicking it with your friends. You don't have an identity outside of this other person. Mm-hmm. Or if you do, everything you do has to be run through that other person. Yeah. And then next thing you know, here you are um, in a situation that nobody deserves to be in. And the only person responsible for those kinds of relationships is the perpetrator. Yeah. Like, that's who the person that's responsible. Um, and then, you know, when you're trying to survive that, there's the shame that comes, all of those kinds of things. Uh so when love goes wrong, it goes all the way wrong, all the way wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it works, it's beautiful. Like it is probably the most important thing in my life mm. is love. It wasn't always. Yeah. It was not always. It used to be stuff. Gotcha. You know, stuff, status, kicking it, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. When did it change? Uh... You know, that's a great question. Um, probably a few years into my, into my relationship with okay. him. Because she's not about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so here I come with all my, like, let's do this and let's buy this. And what kind of, what name brand is, like, all this materialistic kind of stuff. And she's just like, nah, I really just need some sweatpants. <laughs> and I'm like, you want some Adidas sweatpants and some Nike ones? And she's like, no, just sweatpants. Mm-hmm. Like the ones that are $7. You know, and so she really helped me um, embrace much simpler things, mm, mm-hmm. um, and which I, I am so appreciative of. I really, really am. And I think I helped her embrace, um, you know, like, you can buy a pair of Nike. Right. <laughs> Come to the 
finer things than I mean, you know, like, like we ain't always buying Nike sweatpants, right. but like you could buy them a couple, t- two, three times. Right. Like it's not, you know, why it's, not? Why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked about love kind of on the interpersonal level, mm-hmm. maybe even romantically, but what about systemically? Like what would love mean at that level? Oh, man. It means that everybody's got a fair shot. Mm-hmm. And by fair shot, I mean my marginalized identities are not predictors of what's going to happen, mm. you know? And so we know that, you know, if I am a Latina woman, like that identity of Latina, that identity of woman, there's some things that we can probably assume are going to be barriers for folks. Mm-hmm. If we love each other as humans and as other souls and as other people who are worthy of love, then those identities are not determined. They're not going to determine anything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then people can really be judged on, on what they do and how they treat other people as opposed to the identities that they hold. Got it. Yeah. So you don't even get an opportunity to show up past your identity and be whole, be wholly seen. Yeah. If you have one or multiple marginalized identities mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, you know, if we focus more on loving each other as, as humans and as people, um, and if we, we all believe that everyone is worthy of love, this would be a very, very different society. What would the world look like if it loved you? Ooh. A queer black woman um, who's married mm-hmm. or some other aspects of your identity? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It, would, it would look normal. Say more about normal. Um, this concept of normal. Like we think things are, you know, certain things are normal. Mm-hmm. A certain identities like heterosexual, like that's normal. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. being gay, like that's abnormal. There would be no more of these um, thoughts that people are abnormal because of particular identities. Uh-huh. Everybody would be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we wouldn't have this burden of trying to figure out where we fit. Because when you love people, they fit everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. so there's no more of this. Well, this is these folks live over here. And these folks live over here. And you, you don't have railroad track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then the railroad track is because there's trains coming through, Mm -hmm. not because that's the line that you can't cross. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not a line, you know? And so we wouldn't have to have, you know, separate stuff. Yeah. We could have equitable stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if we focus more on love, we would see the humanity in each other, and we would want the best for each other. Yeah. We would not tolerate suffering. Mm, We would not tolerate we not. suffering we not we would not right now we there's systems that benefit off of man say you more know? about these systems that benefit off of suffering because that's so real so i think of nonprofits oh. that work you know in underserved under-resourced under-represented at, at risk mm-hmm. like they are dependent on poverty mm. they're poverty pimps sometimes Often. Poverty pimps. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. I have never heard that, yes. but that just captured yes. fully. Yes. Yeah. So so I can work to support people in poverty, but I'm not working to end poverty. Hmm. Those are two completely different things. If agencies and organizations and systems are working to end poverty, 
then they work themselves out of a job. Yeah. I'm look, I would be completely fine with that. Yes. <laughs> I would be totally fine with that because that means life is better for everybody. Mm-hmm. But but then since, I can go paint and draw and and write whatever. fiction. You know, <laughs> yeah, whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would figure out what it is mm-hmm. I really want to do. Um but but those systems are dependent. Mm. You know? The justice system is dependent on crime. Yeah. You know? Nobody benefits from crime. There's lots of people who are impacted by it, but it's not none of it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's no crime, there's no judges, there's no jails. Those are businesses. Yeah. You know? Um, and so are businesses. Yeah. And so so there's profit to be made from people's pain. Mm. And if if we loved each other, we wouldn't want to see each other in pain. Mm-hmm. And if there's no pain, there's no profit off of that. But as long as people are marginalized, people are um, under-resourced and underserved and minoritized and all of those things, there's money and profits to mm. be made off of that pain. Um, and, I, and I remember being in the child welfare system and thinking, like, if y'all did prevention work um, and help these families before they got to us. Yes. <coughs> we work ourselves out of a job. Yeah. But we're dependent on it. So that's why that's why you don't see a lot of prevention efforts hmm. in child welfare. Because it's a very responsive system. Right. It's reactive. Mm-hmm. It's not proactive. There's not any money in prevention. And people don't fund prevention like these grant programs and mm-hmm. all of that. They mm-hmm. say that prevention is a focus, but that's not usually what gets it. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Because true prevention requires dismantling systems Mm. Mm. and those systems are the ones that are dependent on the dysfunction Mm -hmm. and so if i dismantle it like what am i gonna do for a job what am i am i gonna be the ceo of something no because they don't need my they don't need this agency Mm -hmm. so it is it's cyclical it's dependent um people that are oppressed are dependent on the systems that are oppressive Mm -hmm. <clears throat> which is nuts. Yeah. <coughs> Cheers, man. Go ahead. So yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of complicated, the world yeah. and life, and equity and equality and letting everybody be great. And if there is love, mm-hmm. people have the space to create whatever the greatness is for them. Whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. And the systems that benefit off of people suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. And marginalization no longer exists. Man, they would, I'm telling you. And we get to create systems that celebrate yes. health and yes. wellness, wellness yes. and wealth. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It would be a completely different society. We would not treat each other the way that we do. We wouldn't put up barriers for people. Um, it would just, everybody could live their best life. Mm-hmm. And people can't live their best lives now. Because of systems and the way systems show up in their lives. It's just not, those systems won't allow people to live their best life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some identities and others that you sometimes struggle to love? Oof. Um, I sometimes struggle. And it's not, love might not be the word, but but sometimes I struggle a lot with white women. Mm -hmm. Um. Because sometimes I don't see from them 
that they see me as another woman. Mm. What do you think they see you as? Because that's so important to capture. Black woman. Mm. But woman is still in there to you? Because sometimes I feel like it's a totally different thing. It's still in there. Okay. Um, but I think when you when you attach that blackness to it, um, then it diminishes in some ways. Not maybe diminishes not the not the word. Um, but people see more of the black than they do the woman. Okay. Um, and so I think I think it is that that's an identity that I really struggle with because I want to be able to trust and I want to be able to connect mm-hmm. as women. Mm-hmm. But I know getting damn well. My blackness is sitting right in between us. Yeah. And, you know, people would dance around it and all of that. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not a negative impact on them. It mm-hmm. is on me. Mm-hmm. Because then I'm sitting in a space where I question whether people are genuine. Yeah. Um, and I question whether people can be trusted. Do you question it or do you feel like you know at a gut level? I think I know it. Okay, because I be, you know, kind of flushing that out. I know, like, I know at a gut level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things, my wife tells me this a lot. She's like, you give people a lot of chances. Mm, okay. You know? And I, and I do. Because I'm like, no, like, if I just tell you what the impact is, because you're a good person, you, like, you'll be able to, you know, do the math and mm-hmm. figure all the rest of this out. And mm-hmm. I have been sorely disappointed not carrying time way. after time after time after time after time. And so I'm trying not to get in that place where, like, everybody's getting the side mm-hmm. out. Right now, everybody's getting the side yeah. out. And even, even if you do things that are, you know, like you would never engage in any kind of harmful kind of stuff, mm-hmm. like, I'm still waiting. Yeah. And I don't like the fact that that's what I do. Um, what does it do to you that you are feeling that distrust? Um, that understandable suspicion, given what you've been experiencing. Yeah, um, like it's extra stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and it and it is that it's that hurdle. Like true, genuine, like sisterhood is right here, but there's this hurdle, mm-hmm. and some and like sometimes I don't even feel like trying to jump the hurdle Got it. because it's. Like, if I miss the hurdle, or like I trip over the hurdle, then I'm hurt. Not the person that's already over there. Are I'm they the supposed to be coming over the hurdle instead of you? Um, It would be nice if they'd move the hurdle. Mm. You know? Mm. Like, can we just move it? Um, But that's not what happens. Got it. And so, it's been my experience that it is always the person with the marginalized identity that has to do the work. Gotcha. To make everything okay for someone else. Um, as opposed to the person with the most privilege, mm-hmm. recognizing, like, hey, I got some stuff I need to do. Mm-hmm. That That's the point. When I realize that people are not willing to do that work, and what they say to me is really just lip service, yeah. Um, then that's when I'm like, you're dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I'm like, you know what, we cannot. They're talking to you from over here with the hurdle in front, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I see that there's a hurdle. Like, girl, I not hate make, Not hurdle. move the hurdle, like, not I ask really, anybody. I wish there wasn't a hurdle, and mm-hmm. I'm really sad that there's a hurdle. Mm-hmm. And I know this hurdle has hurt you before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. we can have so many conversations about mm-hmm. this hurdle, mm-hmm. but I'm not mm-hmm. going to move it. No. Because I could. Mm-hmm. But I just, I'm not going to. But I just don't know how. And if you tell me how, 
Mm-hmm. What should I do to move this hurdle? Mm-hmm. Actually, you should really just do it because yeah, you already know like, what to do. Yeah, like, so. and you're closer to it anyway. You're so you should just move it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm like, you know what? To hell with all of this mm-hmm. and I walk away. Yeah. I'm like, so the hurdle's still going to be there. I'm not moving it um, because I can't. Like, I cannot. And I think uh, for me, in a lot of the relationships that I've had with white people, um, I've walked away from some of those relationships. Mm. The minute that I see that, like, you're the one who's bolting the hurdle to the ground, hmm. then I'm like, now let me just get in my car and go on and go. Because that person is no longer safe for me. Yeah. Um, and the minute someone's not safe for me is the minute that I'm like, and they'll feel it. Yeah. They will feel it. I'm very good at making people feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that part of that comes from anger and part of that comes from hurt. Yeah. Um, but that's real. Like, all of that is real. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that the attempt to scale a hurdle as a black woman has been probably the way I spent 50% of my life. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to scale this hurdle because I have the energy and it's my Mm -hmm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. And And if I just say this way and do this thing, the hurdle will be scaled. And that statement, if I just, Mm -hmm. if I just Mm -hmm. am not so black, or Mm -hmm. if I'm just nicer, or if I... Just change, you know, the tone of my voice. Mm-hmm. But if I just fix my face when I'm yeah. in meetings. And like, then what you find is the hurdle is still there. Uh-huh. And there's another hurdle when you get over, if you get over that one. Right, right. It's like you get over one and then another one immediately pops up. Mm-hmm. And you get over that one, then another one immediately pops up. And I'm just like, I don't, I'm good. Like, I see this one hurdle. I don't need to see the other ones. Yeah. You know. Have you ever done the privilege walk? Mm-hmm. So we were doing this in one of my classes <coughs> when I was a student, and and I ended up in the back of the room. Mm-hmm. And so then we were processing it as a class, a predominantly white group of people. Mm-hmm. And they were like, but they had you turn around, and you're like, look how far you came. And I was like, I never wanted to do this. I didn't sign up for that journey. Right. But wait, though, we're immigrants. I just can't eat. <laughs> <laughs> I was so dumbfounded by that, and I don't even know why I was. I don't know why I continue to be surprised. I, you know, I stopped being surprised about that dude a yeah. long time ago. But I, but I was, what was surprising is, man, come on. Like, would you say that to your ancestors? Yeah. And I'm like, the ancestors are pissed at you, sir. So, when they rise up, you're going to know it. There's a desperation in internalized depression oh, that will man. take groups of us out mm-hmm. to survive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm. yeah so final question yes what do you love most about you oh man i'm a badass mm, a badass what? yes i'm a badass woman i'm mm-hmm. a badass black woman i'm a badass lesbian i'm a badass professional i'm a badass wife i'm a badass daughter i'm a badass friend like all of that mm-hmm. um and i own that and I and I embrace it. Mm-hmm. What um, does it mean to be badass? It there's a level of fearlessness mm. that comes with that. Um, and I have been, you know, like I got kicked out of child welfare. Mm-hmm. Like literally, they kicked me out of it by way of removing a contract that yeah. I was working on. And, and it wasn't because of the work that I. Well, it was because of the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Because I was the one in the room going, "Stop treating black families so bad." Mm. But I'm the only voice. Okay. And I'm the only black person. In the whole room. In the whole room. 
<sighs> in the whole room. And so it was the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone had to say it. Um, and I think I, I embraced that role. Um, because I remember the day that I got laid off. And I remember I, I had just turned in a budget, mm-hmm. like a two-year budget, like two weeks ahead of time. And I, my boss calls me and she says, you know, when you get done with this meeting, I, can you stop by my office? All right, cool, whatever. I'm thinking it's like something about a budget. Right. Clearly it was. The fact that we <laughs> won't have one. The there's not one. Um, and I just remember walking in, saw the HR lady, saw my boss and was like, I'm laid off, aren't I? And then my boss said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm taking the rest of the day off. Absolutely. And sashay right on out. And like I held it together mm-hmm. until I got to my car and it was just a mess. Yeah. Um, but I didn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. Because I knew why it happened. Yeah. And I felt good about like so my work was 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 so good that this is the only way that y'all could stop me from doing it. Mm. That's badass. Yeah. You know? And, and, and it still hurts to be ejected from a system where absolutely. you were committing 20 years of your absolutely, life. Absolutely, absolutely. But in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever Man, happened to me. right. It was the, I would have never left mm-hmm. had they mm-hmm. not put me out. Because I was still in there like, nope, y'all going to change. We can fix this. I can fix this. All of these kinds of things. Um, and I was wrong. And, the, you know, the system is still the system. Um, but I think for me, being fearless. Like, I watched... My dad was very fearless okay. when I was growing up. Um, and I just remember like the things he would talk about and how he would interact with other people. Um, and to me, that was just like he was fearless. He talked to anybody. He mm-hmm. talked about anything. Um, he's the blackest black man I know. Mm-hmm. you know, And he didn't have, had no qualms whatsoever challenging white people in the ways that they were treating him or the ways that they were treating me or the ways that they were treating our family, anything mm-hmm. like that. And to me, that was fearless. Gotcha. Um, and so I wanted to be like that growing up. How do you differentiate fearlessness from courageousness? Um, I think fearlessness, there's less things to stop you. Mm, okay. Because you're not afraid. You're mm-hmm. not as afraid. Courageous, um, like there's still a lot of fear, but mm-hmm. you do it anyway. Yeah. Fearless is like I don't give not one single solitary shit. Yeah. About I'm what not happens. There yet. I'm definitely but, sitting in courage. Like this terrifies me every single day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 I have those moments where I sit in terror mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I think the work that I do, um, both you know, in my professional life, in my personal life, um, like that work is the same mm-hmm. for me. Um, and so I, I embrace being the person that shows up and they're like, oh shit, here she comes. (laughs) Yep. Here I come. And you know what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to make you uncomfortable and you're going to be okay. You will deal. Um, but I think part of that comes from owning who I am and owning what I'm able to do, uh, and trusting what I'm able to do. Um, didn't always feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember my wife talking to me, and she was like, who else is going to do it? Mm. And I was like, you're damn straight. Mm-hmm. And so realizing that helped me. Um, I feel an obligation yeah. in, in a lot of ways. I feel an obligation to make things better for everybody, but especially folks like me. Yeah. You know? 
I um, feel you on that obligation, that responsibility. Mm-hmm. That for me, it feels like an honor to do so. It is. And I still feel terrified. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. yes. and I'll do it anyway. But mm-hmm. boy, I feel it in my body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, is this going to be the thing that gets me booted out? Oh, well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then I just go ahead and, and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, but but I, I don't, I think I've spent enough of my life operating from a place of fear yeah. and uncertainty and insecurity. Um, and I'm at that age now. Like, I'm so glad once I turned 40, mm-hmm. I was like, to hell with all y'all. Oh, so it changes. Oh, it does. <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. Like, when I turned 30, that was, I was like, I need to figure out who I am. Mm-hmm. And it took me probably 10 years to figure that out. And then once I realized, like, this is me, this is, like, all of it, then I was like, there's not anything that I'm not capable of doing. Yeah. And so I don't I don't go into spaces anymore with fear. Mm-hmm. When I first started, like, doing presentations and, like, big, you know, community events and stuff, I always carried a fan mm. and a cup of ice water. Sweaty. <laughs> Sweaty. <laughs> Just like, oh my gosh, do I know enough to be here? Am I mm. like, am I enough of whatever I need to be to be in front of these people? Gotcha. Uh huh. Um, and then I stopped doing that. Um, and I think what happened was I, I was doing a presentation. It was like almost a thousand people in the space. Wow. And I was like, well, I won't be sweaty in front of a mm-hmm. thousand people. And so I just pushed through it. Um, and so like they gave me a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't get nervous anymore. I don't carry my Beyonce fan. That's why I used to call it my Beyonce fan. My wife's like, you don't carry your fan. I don't. But thanks for noticing. And I don't like stop and get a big giant cup of ice water yeah. before. I just go because I'm good with who I am. I'm gotcha. great with who I am. I'm great with what I know. Um, I don't have any expectations that everybody's going to love it. Mm-hmm. In fact, I hope there are people in there who don't love it that makes them uncomfortable. Because when you're uncomfortable, that's, that's when you can make the decision to change. That's stuff. true. You know, people don't change when they're comfortable. Nope. There's no reason to. But when you're uncomfortable, that's when a whole lot of good stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it just, I've not always been this kid. Like, I've not always been, to know me when I was in elementary school, like junior high, you'd be like, she's doing what now? Really? Yes. Quiet. Super shy. Um. It was bullied a lot. Mm. A whole lot. I feel like that means something in the context of being about the work of social justice, mm-hmm. though. Like, mm-hmm. that background mm-hmm. really makes you much more of a fighter on mm-hmm. the tail end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get stuck <clears throat> up for your, for your lunch money in third mm-hmm. grade enough. Uh, or, like, get extra allowance and, like, save your allowance so you can, like, pay protection. Mm-hmm. That kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um you know, that, that I just I, made I, me think of moonlight. I just, I spent a whole lot of time being afraid of people mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm not afraid anymore, but it took a whole lot to get yeah. to that point. It took a whole lot, but it was the, it's the best thing I ever did for myself. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely the best gift I've ever given myself. Fearlessness as the best gift. Mm-hmm. Is fearlessness a part of love? It is for me. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is for me. Um, because I love that part of myself mm-hmm. and and I see how other people react to it. Um, and like I know how proud it makes my parents that I like I'm the people in my life that are super important to me, I work extra hard to make them proud. Yeah. 
And so like when I'm when I'm doing stuff and you know whatever, and I tell my mom about it, she's like, I can't believe you did that. I'm so proud of you. And like that's the kind of stuff, you know. It's affirmed. It is. It by is. the people who matter most mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. That can keep you going. It does. It mm-hmm. absolutely does. It absolutely does. So, like, when Kim comes home, and I'm like, well, guess what I did today? And she's like, I totally knew you could do it. Like, that. Mm-hmm. That expression of love and faith in me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't take that I don't take that lightly. So, like, when people place their faith in me, I'm obligated to do my best for them. Gotcha. And so, that that's, that's what's worked so far. And I think it's going to continue to work because I'm going to make it work. Because it just, like, it just, there's just something about getting that validation from people that you care about that just, I mean, that can heal a whole lot of wounds. Mm-hmm. It can motivate you to do all kinds of things. So, yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate that I have that. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing you need to get, folks out there, get you a squad. Mm. Say more about what the, what the importance of the squad is. Well... There um, are some women in my life, um, and like we we've only known each other. We've probably known each other maybe five years, maybe probably less than five mm-hmm. years. But I cannot imagine my life without Danny and Tanya and Colleen and May and Rowena and Latanya and Andine, um and Rhonda. Like there's so. How'd you find each other though? You know what happened? We I went. Um, <laughs> There's this group in town called Not the Only One in the Room. Mm-hmm. And it started out like just 30 people. And I remember my friend Latanya was like, let's go to, I'm going to take you to this meeting. Like it's women of color and like we just get together and it's really fun. And I got in there and was like, what? <laughs> and I remember us standing in like this line and we were introducing ourselves and talking about, um, what we do and then what we want to do mm. and I haven't been able to go yet and I just still want to go let me look it is beautiful it is these are the best friends like these are the friends that I will take to my grave mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and could not imagine my life now without them and so I remember the first one I went to and Danny um, was working in, in uh, sexual assault prevention I was working doing the same kind of work and I just remember I said that, and I just remember this little head, <laughs> and like she had the biggest, best smile I've ever seen, and I was like, I don't know who she is, but we're gonna be friends. <laughs> and and for me, that is a group of women <clears throat> that they keep me out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, they pick me up when I'm like, you know, sometimes stuff gets hard. I don't fall down, but I'll take a knee. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that like, it's okay to take a knee. And then when it's time for me to get up, they're the ones who help me yeah. up. Um, and we do that for each other. Um, so squads are incredibly important. Um, we hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so important. Because uh-huh. mm-hmm. like I've got friends that like never held me accountable for anything. Mm-hmm. And so if I said I was going to do this and didn't do it, they were like, girl, let's go do something else. It was never that. But these women, like, hold me accountable. You said you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Did you do it? Well, when are you going to do it? Well, do you need some help doing it? Okay, you don't? Okay, so, but, so when are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. I have to have that. Yeah. Um, and, and I've had a complicated relationship throughout my life with black women. Mm-hmm. They have washed all of that away. Wow. 
they washed all of that away. So it is like they're the best friends that I have in my life. And I could not, like you come for one, everybody's going to show gotcha. Like it's, it's that kind mm-hmm. of, it's not even friendship, like it's a real sister. Thing, yeah. You know? Um, and so I just appreciate them so very, very much because they have just contributed so much richness to my life. Yeah. Um, and their support is everything. It's everything. And again, you know, they bring a lot of love in my life. And and I hope I, I know I bring some to them. <laughs> uh, we will be hanging out tonight. Um but like they're they're my role models mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um and they're just really good, strong, confident women. Yeah. Um and I think we all, especially women of color and black women in particular, like we need that. Yep. We absolutely need we do. That. Yeah. So next time we there's a brunch coming. Okay. I'll send you the stuff. Yes. I think it's, in, it's next month, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. that sounds like a good place to stop. Yes. Thank you so much oh, for being thank you. on. This is great. Thank you for joining us. To connect and contribute, go to howtolovahuman.com. For more episodes, find Dr. Candace Nicole on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you like the show, leave a five-star review. Thank you, and see you next week. Oh, man.